1: Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. No power frequency, radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places. Truth
0: is never... Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2024. We've got a serious year ahead of us. We've got an incredible show. Uh, today because we are we're here with our, our first guest of the year before we jump into the show I feel like I got to start the year off right right and like what is making this show possible in 2024 is the exact same thing that made it possible in 2023 and that is Jade Jade our producer and John our engineer and Charlie Pittman our news director that is why I get to do this show with the incredible Liz Winstead, who is a comedian and co host of the podcast Feminist Buzzkill Live. Liz is an abortion rights activist and one of the founders of the Abortion Access Front. If you're not following them on Instagram, please get your life together in 2024, right? Like we've all, we wanna be better this year, be better by following uh, Abortion Access Front. Which is a team of comedians and writers and producers that use humor to destigmatize abortion. And we all know that we like need humor. We just listened to that BBC report for like 40 seconds and it was pretty harsh. Liz, how are you making like the modern moment funny? How are you doing today?
2: Uh, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to be your first guest in 2024. Um, I,
0: think, I think you were my first guest in 2023, too. I feel like you're, how, you're, you're like how I start the year. You're my tradition.
2: I mean, you know, you always slide in thinking, God, could it be worse than that? And turns out, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, it can. Um, because as I like to remind people all the time when they ask the age-old question, I can't believe we're still fighting this fight. I, I like to say... Uh, let's remember patriarchy doesn't take a holiday and uh, 2024 is no exception. You know, we're, we're moving into 2024 with um, the Supreme court ruling that Idaho can keep a law on the books uh, that allows emergency rooms to deny abortion care for people who need it to save their lives until they rule in April. So apparently um, a four-month window of allowing people to die is fine in our democracy. Um, Texas, the Fifth Circuit in Texas ruled the same thing about the Texas emergency rooms. Um, we just found out that a person has tragically died because of abortion bans. Um, and um, Florida going to Florida, trying to just remove anything. And so the fight is real. And I, the one thing I did not really profoundly expect after i guess i should have after roe is that um as we go into 2024 um mm-hmm. our movement is literally helping people not die that is like front and center for the activists doing the work helping people escape the prisons of the states that they look in because their families are there so that they can get the care they need and writing that wrong hopefully um at the ballot box, um, because we we are now fighting for the existence of women and the existence of all of our people who are not just white, straight men um, for our identity, because it really does feel like the message is we don't care if you die, if you're not going to do our bidding.
0: Yeah, I think that the, the message is hard for me to understand i actually don't you know often i don't pretend to be able to interpret like how uh, a movement that believes uh life is sacred um can allow people um to to have their their medical reality deeply compromised by somebody else's religious beliefs um is yeah. it's, it's yeah. a pretty profound mom- moment where we're living in and good news is abortion is back in wisconsin you can get an abortion in wisconsin in madison milwaukee or sheboygan um up to 20 weeks with a lot of invasive and unnecessary restrictions including uh, a fetal heartbeat law that forces people who are having an abortion to listen to the heartbeat of the unborn fetus um And a ban uh, around abortion after 20 weeks, which can be really compromising to folks who experience incredible fetal abnormality um, or real, you know, serious health things um, in the later trimesters of their pregnancies. Yeah, we 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 still have some problems in Wisconsin, for sure. There's a lot of fight left to fight. And at the same time, in twenty twenty three, Um, knowing that people are not going to have to flee the state they live in if they want to get an abortion within the first 20 weeks of their pregnancy, or if they need to get an abortion within the first 20 weeks of their pregnancy um, is, is good news.
2: It is good news. And I also think too, um, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for like the one thing that I think people don't think about when we, when we look at abortion bans is a, every abortion ban is, is created on this really terrifying notion that all that pregnancies are somehow um, like just all the same, so that you can create bans and a, any kind of restriction on abortion um, is bad because things develop in certain gestational parts of a pregnancy. People's bodies change during their pregnancy. Within who you are as an individual, each pregnancy is different. And so, um, anytime you have a ban or something that restricts someone, um, it's saying that at this point of your life, the government now takes over. And if you don't like it or think that the government should never take over your body at any point, that's what we're fighting against, right? And these three year bans, you know, Alec, here's the thing we don't talk about enough too is, you know, when you set, like, some people have a six week abortion ban where, you know, it's basically a two-week abortion ban because you have four weeks in your period and then all of a sudden you have two weeks to decide. You're often them forcing somebody to choose abortion because they don't, you're not giving them an opportunity to assess their lives. And so not only are they not preventing abortion, they're actually encouraging abortion because you're not giving anybody opportunities to um, really assess how that pregnancy fits into their life. And if indeed they can parent.
0: That's such an interesting point of of people being in a position where they're like, and this isn't just people who are considering abortion. This is also people, you know, I, I did an interview in 2023 with Heidi Wegleitner who had an abortion because she was afraid to miscarry in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and, and to think about the kinds of health choices people make out of desperation and out of mm-hmm. fear, um, to think about the kinds of of decisions people make um, when they know that they're going to have to travel for hours and that, you know, that 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 there's really serious health consequences of not having access to basic health care and abortion is basic health care. And you can't really imagine doing this with any other health care, including, you know, talking about like life support. Right. If you have a kid that's on life support, you would never say, Well, their family, you know, shouldn't have a say in when you take them off life support. The government should come in and decide when when that should happen, you know, when that's okay to do. Um, I I think it's really interesting uh, why pregnancy is is what people are, are locking locking into. And at the same time. I think what we saw since Roe v. Wade was overturned is that people have been deeply politically motivated. And that's kind of what I want to talk about with you, Liz, here today on WORT 89.9. You are listening to A Public Affair. I'm Ali Maldro, and we've got Liz said live on the air. So if you want to join the conversation, the number is 608-256-2001. What are your thoughts about how abortion is going to shape electoral politics in 2024? Liz, what are you hoping? Um, you know, the election is really starting to like ramp up. Like we're we're hearing a lot from Donald Trump. We're hearing a lot of of predictions about what the the next presidential election is going to look like. What what do you think abortion will do to shape the outcome of this election? How do you think it'll inform people who are voting?
2: Well, I I'm going to take off my um nonprofit hat and put on my Liz Winstead hat because I run a 501c3. So talking about the elections is a little bit tricky. Um, but what I will say is, you know, people are mad, mad frustrated at how um a these two candidates are in representing. Like, you know, it's like Q, Q, is that all there is? You know, like people just are not happy that this is some kind of reality. Like these are our candidates. This is who represents (laughs) us. And so.
0: I know it makes you feel bad for a certain generation of women's dating. pool.
2: You're like, Oh, well, and, and I think that with abortion on the ballot and it is on the ballot in all 50 States, because people have promised if getting elected in, in this elections that they're going to, if the Senate takes over by the Republican, um, that they will try to do a federal abortion ban. You know, we are also sitting, when we talk about why elections matter, we have a Supreme Court case that is going to be heard probably in March about the abortion pill. And, you know, anti abortion activists who helped choose these judges who are lower court judges and Supreme Court judges who helped them choose judges who are anti-abortion, you know, they're going to be hearing whether or not the abortion pill is safe and was um, evaluated correctly by the FDA. It's been on the market since 2000. 5.2 million people have used the abortion pill, but what's at stake with the Supreme Court is if they rule that the FDA has decided Uh, putting the abortion pill um, on the market wrongly it is a rollback to a national seven week abortion ban on medication abortion with a forced in person dispensing mechanism which means it doesn't matter if you're in Wisconsin or New York or California the abortion pill which is the most popular form of abortion in America will be reduced to a seven-week ban. Who does that harm? Well, oh, everyone, but mostly uh, folks who are, live in rural communities, folks who live in states where there is no access to a clinic to actually procure the abortion pill, and of course, a BIPOC folks. Uh, you know, and that is something that we really need to look at with these elections. You ask what's at stake and how it plays out. Um, I don't know why it seems so hard to have people understand that our judicial system is what's holding is a house of cards. And it is what has ruled on us so profoundly. You know, Roe v. Wade fell because a Mississippi law went through a a national court system. You know, we don't live in Mississippi, but because a Mississippi law went through a court system that was set up through elections that are often gerrymandered, you know, we get this. I mean, Wisconsin, y'all know, you have some of the most gerrymandered asswackery. I don't think that's a swear. Um, <laughs> in, 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 in the country, right? You, you, you have elected, you know, you are your people are not represented. And so like, this is the kind of thing that we really need to be looking at when it comes. Like, I'm looking at the presidential election and I'm hoping that Um, You know, people can decide maybe the candidate that I want and my values aren't 100% represented, but I realize I live in a democracy and if I can elect the person who shares the most of my values and then decide for myself that I have to be a responsible citizen um, and then push them in my direction, it's not just about voting right voting is the first thing you do and then the rest of it is how do you participate in your own democracy to make sure cuz you're not you're not voting for a, your boyfriend you're not voting for your valentine you're voting for somebody who you can literally put pressure on to move in a better political direction than you want you know you
0: know i i would love to like believe in it but it almost sounds profoundly wholesome of you to say that in part because i think holding elected officials accountable in the era of donald trump um feels uh futile in particularly as the conversation around what all donald trump seems to be able to get away with um, continues to happen. The fact that you have the two people who are running against him in the primary both saying they will pardon him if they are elected, um, I, I feel like there are there are parts of this election that will be deeply um, devastating and disenchanting to people. And and I do think that we, in some ways, are obligated to talk about abortion. 10 times more often than we talk about the candidates in part to remind ourselves, um, that these are real issues. These are people's lives and freedoms at stake. These are, there are, you know, enormous consequences to who gets elected in this country in 2024.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I also think that, um, you know, to me the point isn't to feel, If I actually thought that a majority of people were voting and this is where we end up, um, that would be devastating. How do we, and I don't know the answer, but how do we compel people to get rid of the cult that is this... um, Republican Party that is beholden to Donald Trump because it's no longer just about Donald Trump. Donald Trump ism is a it is is pervasive party, right? It's now it is foundational. And the ism, if Donald Trump went away, we're not gonna get some clear-headed Republican who actually values humanity. That's not what's happening. So
0: Anything's possible, Liz. I'm like I, I would love to see um, the 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 more reasonable, you know, version of conservatism or or of Republican values. I would love to see that emerge again. I would love to see those folks take back their party. Um, I would love to, you know, it's a, a weird thing, but I'd love to engage in a reasonable conversation with people who think very differently than I do. Um, I think. You know the the hard thing about Donald Trump is is what Donald Trump has in common with Americans, you know. And so I think the the desire to control other people, the desire to discriminate against other people, I think those those have always been values in the United States. I think yes. Donald Trump just makes brings people kind of home to those values. Exactly, and he's the golden calf for sure. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what makes him um, scary in, in a lot of ways. And I think, uh, you know, I, I get that folks are disappointed with Biden. And at the same time, I'm like, election, elected officials are not like Santa Claus. They're not like magical. It's very hard to get everything you want from them. Um, I, I don't know. I think, I, I think that you, you see on the left folks are more willing to be publicly critical of their candidate. I think that's what we saw with Hillary. And I think the consequences for that were, were tremendous. So, for you, do you think people's kind of lack of enthusiasm around Biden um, is, is a predictor of, of where we're going to land in November?
2: You know, here's the thing I don't, I feel like if, if people can just cavalierly be disappointed in a candidate and then stay home. Um, or be mad, um, that takes them off the hook for investing in their democracy. And I and I have never felt like a politician was going to solve my problems. I've always felt like it is my duty to force and to try to galvanize people who believe like me um, to come forward in numbers to put pressure on the politicians who who have um, the capacity to change, to say, you have this seat because we voted for you, and here's a set of values that we believe in, and to push them in that direction. We are responsible for our own democracy. We just are. And to think that voting is the end of democracy or not voting because you don't like somebody, like that just doesn't do it for me. It, it seems very privileged. It feels like you're not looking at some larger scope of of what you're mad about. But when you weigh the things you care about, and then you weigh these two people and say who's gonna who's gonna make it worse, there is a clear answer to that. And of the things that people feel are unacceptable to them you know i'm very proud of the people who have taken a stance on how america is supporting the israel's response in gaza you know they have been relentless and thoughtful and um and saying we don't not in our name we don't it's not about how you feel about what hamas did it is what is now happening in this in Gaza, right? Because what Hamas did was terrible. You don't kidnap people and murder people and children. Hamas are terrorists. But Israel's response and um, and and the unmitigated way that the United States has um, just destroyed civilians. the the activists who are taking that on, are clear. And we need that with all of our issues. We need that with abortion. We need that with guns. We need that with all of those things. We need to move the needle of these elected people relentlessly with our belief system to say, we need you to think about this because you promised you would consider us. But a politician who will not consider you at all ain't a choice.
0: You know, I, I think it's not even a matter of politicians um, considering the, the public that they represent. I think that's the job. I think the the job is about public service. Yes. Um, however, we have a caller on. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to WORT 89.9. If you want to be like Mike and join this conversation, all you have to do is dial 608-256-2001 and we will patch you through to the show we're talking about abortion and the impact it will have in 2024 we're you know we're talking with Liz like she's a legend we're talking with Liz Winston she created the daily show she's kind of the baddest the original baddie you know Is here with us on WORT today talking to us about everything that matters including Palestine she just like sprinkled that in to like keep us on our toes Mike how are you doing today welcome to the show
1: well hi thanks for having me today Um, We have a presidential candidate who is the most pro-choice candidate in the history of presidential races, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. When he's included in the polls, he has a higher favorability rating by far than Trump and Biden. When he's included in the polls, he is leading among voters under 45 years of age. He just raised over six million dollars in the last quarter. He's going to be on the ballot. People have to wake up. I'm so glad people under 45 who the issue we're talking about today affects more than anyone. It's so nice to see so many people have woken up. But the rest of us, we, uh, we have our candidate. We have 11 months for people to figure it out. So RFK Jr. 2024, thank you for listening. (laughs)
0: Mike, thank you for for joining us on the show. Thank you for reminding us of of the vastness of this playing field these days. I do wanna say, I think it's it's okay to emphasize that people under 45 often are the people we're talking about in terms of abortion. I just wanna remind people who are listening, the majority of folks who have abortions um, are not teenagers, are not even in their early 20s. The majority of people who have abortions have multiple children. Um, My great-grandmother had her last child when she was 45, Women have been getting pregnant in their 40s and later, um, you know, for a very, very long time. So when we talk about like the reproductive reality of people, we're talking about people as young as eight years old or seven years old or six years old. We're talking about people as old as 64. You know, we're talking about a huge window of people's lives in which they might need to have an abortion for whatever reason. Um, and with that said, I think, Liz, would you like to respond to, to what Mike yeah. had to say? Well, I would also kind say of, that kind RF- of this candidate?
2: Uh, RFK Jr. back in August in Iowa said that he would support a federal abortion ban after 12 weeks. So get your facts straight because RFK Jr. is not a friend to, he is not by any stretch of the imagination, the most pro-choice candidate. Um, If you are pro-choice, it also means you believe in reproductive justice. And I don't believe that being anti-vax is reproductive justice. I think it puts people in danger. Um, I also don't think that... I I believe people's families, when they assess a candidate and when your own family doesn't back you and puts out a giant post on social media saying... He is unqualified to lead, and our family does not back him. That is something to consider, like Paul Gosar's family did as well. But to put RFK Jr. into a pro-choice uh, candidate, he is not.
0: Yeah. I I so appreciate you clarifying that, and I I want to bring up Cornell West um, as as a candidate in part because I'm like Cornell West is the Kanye West of this election. I'm so annoyed with Cornell West, but I don't think you can argue that Cornell West is not pro-choice, that Cornell no. Cornel West is not in favor of abortion access. No. So when you talk about Cornell West as a candidate who's going to show up on the ballot, what do people need to know about him when it comes to abortion?
2: Well, it's also, too, um, what people need to know is simple. How are you talking about it? How are you framing it? How is it positioned every time you talk about it? Because I hate to say it, but um, it is, I don't even hate to say it. When I hear people talk about people being pro-choice, it it's not enough to be bat back bad legislation. It's not enough to say, I will be willing to give you access to abortion to a point. But then I've decided not with any, just like Robert F. Kennedy, with no medical information at all on abortion just like his vaccine denying the facts um if you are not actively understanding and centering abortion because it is the gateway to someone's self determination people who can get pregnant if you are not understanding that that reproductive justice framework goes into all parts of our lives how do we get to raise our children You know, are we creating a healthy environment for them? All of those things, deciding when and if you want to parent and making sure the avenues for with which you get to make that decision are clear and consistent and available. Then you are simply having it as a tick box on your beliefs. You don't get to just coast saying that you are pro-choice. What are your actions? What have you what are you saying on the stump that is a policy you would do or a roadmap that you would do to expand access?
0: Liz, are there people who have been elected for a long time or got elected in 2023 or you're excited about in 2024 in terms of the way they're talking about abortion. How do you think people should be talking about abortion access? How do you think people should be elevating this issue? I completely agree with you that at the heart of this issue is self-determination. That The only people who should decide um, whether or not an ab- an abortion is right for them are are the people who are pregnant, right? Yes. Um, and that each of those people deserves like the privacy and dignity, privacy and dignity, to make that decision um, on their own terms and, and the resources
2: and... if they choose to to parent.
0: Oh, I second that. Let's make sure. I I believe that nobody should have to pay for something as necessary as an abortion, right? Um, but that's not the reality of of our world. So my question is. Who are the politicians that stand out to you in terms of representing the issue of abortion well um, and talking about it in a way that will allow for the kinds of policies that we need to protect mm-hmm. our right to an abortion, to pre- protect our right to survive?
2: Yeah, I mean, Ayanna Pressley has is, is been very forthright. Bernie Sanders, very forthright. Elizabeth Warren, very forthright. But when it comes to um, and then there's local politicians in certain states. Um, I'm I live in Minnesota part of the time um our Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan, our Governor Tim walls, very forthright. Um, I think that um, when you look at local local politicians, I, I can't give you a whole list, but there are certainly some. but what I have to say that I'm very impressed with is um, It is regular citizens teaming up with activists to get these ballot initiatives on these states who have said, I can't rely necessarily on a politician because I don't know if you're gonna be there in two, four, or six years. What I wanna do is codify this right in my state. So we're going to band together, raise the money, get it on the ballot and every time it's been on the ballot it's won and so now the
0: how do you know how many states have had ballot measures and have seen abortion codified um by codified in law directly by voters i think it's eight states and i so think there are eight have- states that have bypassed their own legislature to make sure they have the right to abortion. And yes. they are conservative states for the most
2: yeah. part. Uh, for the most part, yes. But then you have um, the legislatures still creating laws anyway. You have some some state legislatures that don't allow abortion ballot initiatives at all. They voted to not have them. And then you have some states um, like Florida, um, who and and Ohio beat it back with an eight, have a 60-vote threshold, so you have to have more than a majority. Um, Ohio beat that down, but Florida voted that in, and uh, some other states have that as well. And then like Florida, who just got an overwhelming, way more um, amount of signatures than they need to get a ballot initiative going, their state Supreme Court can just say, this doesn't qualify, and throw it out. They can find reasons. And so there's all these hurdles and what is and what does that tell you when people when politicians are putting up hurdles so that the people's will can't even be um acknowledged and voted on you know that's where we're at right and so i think what i'm most excited about is not necessarily the politicians who are moving forward uh, or who are helping which i am excited about that I'm excited about people understanding their responsibility in getting politicians to that point. <laughs> First step is to say, um, "We want to codify this in our constitution," and having those politicians say, "Here, here," you know. Um, and and so I think that that is um, a super crucial thing to pat regular citizens on the back for taking taking their matters into their own hands
0: i mean i i think it's amazing you know kind of how intense the fight for access to abortion has become i think it's amazing how callous um you know when you think about what's happening particularly in the state of texas um and the, and the kinds of stories we're hearing from texas whether it's somebody who's like fleeing Texas because they will die if they do not have an abortion, or somebody who has died because they cannot gain access to an abortion, or this idea um, that, you know, we're going to let people who need abortions die in in certain states. And and for a movement that is supposed to be about um, the sacredness of life, it seems strange. If this is not really about protecting people's lives if this isn't really about making sure that our society has more healthy young babies um what is it about liz like what what are we what are we really what are what are we really seeing are we really are we just like becoming the handmaid's tale you and i are both close enough to canada to be like yo margaret atwood is is this you know, are we in Gilead yet, Liz? What's going on? What's the point of what's happening in terms of, you know, this kind of legislation?
2: Well, I think what's happening is bodily autonomy is, is first road to challenging a patriarchal power structure and introducing um, people who are taking control and who are elevating themselves into um, removing um, uh, leaders who have unearned power and saying, I also have the ability and the ideas um, to help change the system. And if you are fighting for your freedom to, again, your self-determination, part of that self-determination is also going to be breaking down these systems of oppression that have not allowed everybody on this call <laughs> um, to be part of that system. And so if you have been someone who has benefited from unearned uh, power, you've been there because you've lucked into it, you 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 inherited it, you married into it, um, you were going to be challenged and if you're not up to the challenge you have to crush the challenge and that's what it's about crushing dissent crushing new ideas that open up um open up the world for more equity for people who never experienced it before and the biggest part is the paternal ridding ourselves of paternalistic decision makers who do not have a shred of lived experience with which to actually solve systemic inequalities, and so to be able to oh blow open the doors to have people come to the table who have who can share their experiences of of um, inequality and say, these are the things that would help me thrive, make me a more productive citizen, but we need to lay down this foundation. And also, people don't want to cop to how this country was built. It was not built on equitable labor. <laughs> we, you know what I mean? And so when you have the desperate measures of banning books, not teaching the history of our nation. All of it. Um, We're creating this weird, whitewashed version of America. When I hear white children are uncomfortable hearing about our past, it's like, that sounds like a you problem and that you're a bad parent. That sounds like a a you raising really lame people uh, that can't hear about like, the history of our nation so that they're not awoken to how historically their privilege has been part of the problem and that their privilege can be part of the solution. No one's asking them to end their privilege. It's simply I am. I'm definitely asking. But I mean, it means offering up other people privilege. No, so but that's I think away from your own.
0: But I I, I think we have to talk about that in in a real way, right? Because the idea that Roe v. Wade was overturned in kind of a a politically neutral moment is not true. You have a a moment in history where women are... the most economically powerful that they have ever been, the most politically powerful they've ever been, the most educated they've ever been in this society. Women are outpacing men in arenas that historically they had not. Women and girls and taking away the rights of women and girls at a time when women and girls are are gaining um, space in in the arenas that determine um, the direction we take as a nation doesn't feel like a, a coincidence to me.
2: It feels oh, we're like saying the same and- thing. That is exactly correct. That is okay. exact, we're saying the exact same thing.
0: Well, and I'm like, your your sense of humor is coming through because when you said America was not built on equitable labor practices, that is the most diplomatic way to talk about slavery. Oh, I
2: was being
0: 100% dripping with sarcasm there. I know. It's just the tongue-in-cheek of this conversation, and it's why I live for you.
2: But like, why the hell can we not teach our children that people died so they could- so that one set of our society could have a nice life. And, and, and to actually act like that's the past, and to actually like is, absurd, right? I mean, like it, it's to not connect with your past means you will never right the wrongs and your future will just be a continued um, ugly privileged mess. Um, that everybody falls to the wayside so like I don't know I don't know what kind of world anybody thinks is good where there is an inordinate amount of inequality
0: I you know I feel like I'm not positioned to benefit from the inequality of our world I I feel like as, not a, black at all. Woman, as a black woman um I I don't identify with it. And so I think and I think it's hard for the people who do to admit um, that it's very threatening to think about a world in which the people who have usually not even been allowed to participate are now going to outcompete you for the job and the house and the world that you feel entitled to.
2: And they're going to say, and this is the part that I think scares them the most. It's not about giving me a seat at the table. It's about smashing that table. Destroying the table that was set and used to foundationally build this country and figuring out what the new version of that is. And that, and I think that is really the key because it's not about if a system was set up without you in mind, Ali, we can't, why would you want to just be part of that system? Right? It doesn't work for you because there's places in, There's just it's all set up for you to not actually have power.
0: I mean, it's complicated, though, because the things that make a system work for somebody, um, not that we can have this kind of mirrored, you know, like my needs are not the same as your needs. But if the system is designed to meet your needs, then the system recognizes how to meet the needs of an individual. Right. And and how do we expand that to be inclusive of everyone? I so appreciate you really kind of doing that correction around the the candidate um, that is, you know, our RFK junior and, and saying, hey, we've got to be really careful about the kind of information we put out there right now while we talk about something as important to people's lives as abortion. Um, If you're just tuning in, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. I am on the air live with Liz Winstead for the fourth time. Liz, I am I'm super curious about how you continue to kind of laugh in a moment like this um, and what your year looks like. What is 2024 going to mean for you as a leader um, around abortion access. I think you're going to be really busy. I think you got a lot to do. I was very happy to get on your calendar. Uh,
2: really busy. Um, I think um, what 2024 looks like for me is a couple of different things. Um, in in sort of cool news, um, there's been a documentary film crew that has been following the work of Abortion Access Front for seven years. And that documentary was just released in November. Uh, and so it's making the rounds in twenty twenty-four. So I'm able to travel a little bit with the documentary um and do like what
0: is what is it called? What is the second
2: called No One Asked You? Um okay. and it it debuted at Doc Fest in New York and it's gonna be in San Francisco and DC and Minneapolis, and it's just gonna be uh and it's gonna be all over the place. Um and so um We'll be able to really show our work and invite people in and do workshops around the film and help people get connected, involved in ways that um, they have capacity for, which I feel really good about. Um, We are going to be closely watching what happens with the Supreme Court case that I talked about earlier. We'll be in DC. And then we're going to be um, trying to help protect Pristone, no matter what happens. Uh, We're going to be at the Democratic Convention um, really, um, where is the democratic convention this year? Chicago. Ah, so so we're going to be in- nearby folks. Near near down. That's right. So we're going to be there really talking to, um, pro-choice Democrats about how they can center abortion, what it means when they don't to providers and people who've had them, because I think people think they're doing well in their messaging and I don't think they know the harm they're causing by even ignoring or or not being um, somebody who can be full throated and helping people understand that abortion is a community good. It's a human right. It's a it's it helps build strong families like all of those things are really they need to talk to people like us. So we're going to be doing that. And then we're going to also be doing some um, actions and disruptions at the convention um, to have some fun with uh, with that as well. And then aside from our work that we do all the time, which is um, helping fulfill wish lists for clinics in need, helping fulfill activist organizations' wish lists um, when they need things to help them be stronger um, in helping abortion patients um, and traveling around the country doing aid and comfort in shows um, in states that are the most hard hit so that we can bring community together through um, music and comedy and introduce them to the providers so that we can um, help build community locally. So that's like our bread and butter.
0: You have a, a heck of a year ahead of you. I'm Big year. i need about this documentary and all of the work you're doing. And also just deeply and profoundly grateful for you, Liz. Um, Cause I think, you know, you make me feel like we've got kind of a, a fighting shot.
2: Um, we I- do, but it but depends on us. That is the thing. It's like, what are you going to do? And that doesn't mean you have to be me. It means you're going to commit to something. And that's the thing about Abortion Access Front. And if you want to like find some activist opportunities, please contact us. It's aafront.org slash volunteer because our volunteer team will talk to you and meet you where you're at. So if you give an honest assessment of like what your capacities are, your physical capacities, your limitations, we can give you something to do that fits within how, you can live, how you're living your life that's really fulfilling and meaningful.
0: That's- oh, that's so great to hear. And I think that that's something people don't talk about as often. Is like you have to be able to meet people where they're at in terms yes. of participating in movement work and in resistance. And so that's a really powerful thing to hear that you all – know how to involve the entire community if folks want to do this work there is a way for them to get involved with abortion access front i want to ask you kamala harris is coming to wisconsin to you know kick off a, a tour about abortion are you all working with her to inform that work what do you think about her her centering Um, abortion as a major part of the conversation in 2024 in terms of the presidential election?
2: I mean, I'm really glad. Um, I really would like to also see the president. It really, um, it can't just be uh, Vice President Harris um, carrying the abortion water for this administration. Our president also needs to find within himself and talk to activists and people who've had abortions and tell their stories. I mean, I'm always glad when someone's talking about it and I'm really glad um, that Vice President Harris is talking about it, but I also don't want this to be, I don't, part of why there's frustration within our movement with President Biden is that he is personally not, he doesn't believe in abortion and where those beliefs come from, he says stems from his religion, but that's not how Catholicism actually works there's Catholics for choice there's um, compassion there's a lot of things and President Biden can't run away from the issue and hand it off to Kamala Harris and think that that's being a leader because it's not so I'm excited about Vice President Harris leading the charge but I also don't think that um, it should just be Vice President Harris
0: yeah. So you're not you're not letting Joe off the hook. And at the no. same time, in my lifetime, I can't think of a time where abortion was made a focal point of the campaign in a pre- in a presidential election Um, in terms of what is happening with Vice President Harris. Yeah. Do, do you think of kind of her elevating it um, as as a step in the right direction? Obviously not not the whole enchilada. Um, but but kind of a, a a sample of of where we should be going and what you want to see.
2: What I would say, Ali, is I'm going to reframe that. I don't think it's Vice President Harris that decided. I think the people and the activists and the human beings who've had abortion yes. put so put ourselves out there in a way we shouldn't have had to. No one should be forced to tell their abortion stories. And no one should be forcing politicians to care about us. But we did. And we came forward. And it's undeniable. And I think Vice President Harris and the Biden administration made a decision to talk about it because of the pressure from those of us who understand what's at stake. That did not come from, or I do not believe that came organically because they're doing the right thing. And, and that should be a message to all of, everyone out there. Get your issue out there, demand it be centered so that they have to hear it. You know, they've watched these ballot initiatives, they've watched what happened when the silence was there until 2020. It was silence, it was marginal. And after 2020, and then Roe being overturned in 2022 guess what? The silence brought you here. The silence brought us forward. And then the noise that we made prioritized abortion.
0: I, I like that even more in part because I think what, what we're kind of saying is it's politically strategic to support abortion access loudly and proudly to talk about it with people to get out in front and say you're going to fight with people to ensure that they have access to the healthcare that they need and that healthcare includes abortion. Liz, when when you think about kind of beyond the electoral reality of 2020, you know, 2024, where do you hope we land, you know, if I have you back on? In, in at the very beginning of January in twenty twenty five. What do you hope that you will have accomplished? What do you hope the fight for abortion access will have achieved across the country? We have two minutes. I'm sorry about that question. No,
2: that's OK. Um, <laughs> what I hope is that um, states federally um, or I mean, that states are more and more states are putting um, constitutional protections in place. I'm hoping that we have retirement on the Supreme Court with a with a president that will put um, judges who will be amenable to taking cases that will reinstate abortion as a federal right. I'm hoping that the Fourteenth Amendment is somehow made clear that it is constitutionally protected, um, and I I hope that we um, come back here with the knowledge that. This isn't an electoral fight. This is an ongoing fight for our rights that we always have to be in and that more people realize that and have a sustained activism around this issue and that we are not free until all of us are free.
0: Liz, I cannot thank you enough for joining me again on WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. I'm your host, Sally Muldrow. This is a public affair. Liz, you are the the best person to start the year with thank you for all the work you're doing to stand up for access let's do it again hopefully you know i'm here soon um thank you so much everybody who listened to us this is a public affair y'all have a beautiful snowy day